it's a slightly sad story. I waited 13 years for my husband to propose to me mm. and on Christmas Eve I found a lump in my breast and on Christmas Day I got engaged and then three weeks later I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. So our life went from guessless and planning in this complete mm. euphoria mm. to absolutely crushing am I even going to make it through the next six months. So it was an incredible learning curve but as a journey that I went on, I have learned so much about myself mm. and so much about work and about people and about kindness yeah. and about cutting people slack yeah. and actually being a better human being. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Deputy Managing Director at leading publishing agency Think, Jackie Scully is a business professional with a purpose. Winner of the Women of the Future Community Spirits Award in 2015, as well as the PPA Unsung Hero Award in June of this year, Jackie makes every day count, balancing a hugely successful career with charity work and encouraging others into exercise following her own diagnosis of breast cancer in her early 30s. I met with Jackie at her offices in North London. I grew up in the West Country near Bath and I had a really, I think I had a really brilliant upbringing. I lived in what you might now call a kind of market town that uh, is where they film lots of Pride and Prejudice so mm -hmm. sort of felt like I went back in time and yeah I had a brilliant supportive network in my family who helped me basically focus on sport and all the things I love doing with my extracurricular activities as well as my work and yeah they gave me the best foundation I could have possibly asked for. Were you quite an active child? Yes, very active as a child. I always was in every team, <laughs> um, up early for swimming before uh, work and I really really enjoyed it but I was always very into my work as well so it was all about the essays and the extracurricular drama club and you know I did I did pretty much a little bit of everything which has been a, a trait of my adulthood as well. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you did you move to London? Was that your first big move? When yeah, did you go so to I've, university? Or? I've literally bounced across the country. Okay. So started in the West Country then did my university degree at Oxford and then moved straight to London three days after I finished my degree. Wow. Uh, which was terrifying. Uh, when everyone else was having a summer, I decided it'd be really good to go straight into work. And yeah, you went straight to work? You didn't, straight just, you didn't to work. just move, you went to, no, to a job? three days. So I did some work experience um, right. in my second year right. holiday and they called me up randomly the day I finished my finals at what was 4.30 in the afternoon and I was quite drunk mm -hmm. um, to <laughs> offer me a job with the proviso that I moved to, to London as soon as possible. So I literally left uh, university, went home, packed my bags, moved my life into what was then student accommodation that had been vacated for the summer because there was no place to get accommodation so quickly and spent the summer in London where everyone else was partying just sort of earning my trade and I've literally never stopped. 
Did you have to think about it? Or when they offered it to you, you were like, yeah, in a heartbeat, I just decided to take it. I think for me, it's, as I sort of described, I've done so many things across my life that I've always had so many plates spinning that when this came up, I thought, well, why wouldn't I just take the opportunity and go? And I hadn't really had that pull of where am I really going in my life? So Mm. I just thought I'd take, take the door that opened and have never looked back. As far as your career path is concerned, that first job obviously set you off on the trajectory to where you are now. Yes. Or have you had a few curveballs, a few weird and wonderful things? Well, I've had quite a few (laughs) curveballs. I started work, as I say, very, very soon as a graduate, but I was working for a company of five. So for my first three years of my career, I basically had a quick learning on everything. Where was this? From, what, what so was this was a company called Rap that then re sort of rebranded itself as Aspect. So it was higher up the uh, directory listings. Okay. okay, okay. <laughs> and essentially, I did everything from new business pitching to editing magazines to managing freelancers from mm. the age of twenty-one, and it was an astonishing learning curve. But it was also marginally terrifying and not knowing anyone in London, only work, working with four other colleagues, meant it was quite isolating mm. um, as a role. And then I moved to what is now the company that I work for, for my first round here. So I've come back since. Oh, right, okay. And so I worked there as an editor and a deputy editor for two and a half years. And in that time, I edited a book with Bill Bryson and did the most incredible things Mm. and edited a number of magazines for the travel industry and charities primarily. Um, Loved writing and editing, did a good, good chunk of that. And then I sadly found that my leg was not going to be able to support my body anymore. So I was 24, walking along uh, the bridge by London, Waterloo, and my leg gave way. And I went to see a physio, thinking I just needed a little bit of rehab, and he said that within six months I wouldn't be able to walk again if I didn't have my pelvis sawn in three and rehabilitated and stuck back together again. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on! Let's just pause for a moment. So you say gave way, it, literally you just kind of I was just fell walking or? along. Okay. Nope, just walking along right. on the way back from the theatre mm. and my leg just gave way in front of me and oh. I'd never happened before. So you literally fell on the floor or? I just sort of you, fell you, over, you, yeah. yeah. You were in pain? Or, yeah, and yeah. from that on I couldn't run for the bus. Right. Couldn't dance at people's weddings. So it took a year and a half to work out what the problem was because so it was did so you, rare. Did you realise at the time it was something... I mean, had you been building up to this moment or had you had any warning signs or anything? This literally happened. Yeah. Okay. yeah, and then it led to, as I say, by the end of it, it was about four or five years of my life basically learning how to walk again in your mid-twenties when everyone right. else is having fun and discovering themselves. So so this happened, and you, yeah. did you then live with it, did you say, for a year? Or? Well, there were only a couple of people in the country at that point who actually did the surgery that was required to right. fix the problem. So they knew, they knew what the problem was? Eventually, but it took about three different surgeons to diagnose the problem. What was it? It's um, hip dysplasia. Basically, I had a bit missing from my hip as a young child, so basically mm. my hip socket was too shallow to support my hip bone, so it kept falling out the socket and this is the first you knew about it yeah wow yeah so my 20s if I was to characterize them would be spent walking learning to walk again but that led me to the opportunity to work with Bob Bryson so I ended up doing this book Mm. this anthology called icons of England with 70 celebrities talking about their special parts of the countryside it would never have happened had I not been in a wheelchair because it was a project that I would never have undertaken because it was such a huge 
task with all my current projects and regular work yeah. I wouldn't have been able to take it absorb it so why did you because I was sat at home unable to lift a thing but mm. my brain was functioning okay. so they thought what can we give her which means she doesn't have to talk to any clients she can just get on with it yeah. and see what she can make of it and it was a labor of love okay but it led to me winning a load of awards it was a f- huge success of a book and to be able to do that in my yeah. mid-twenties because of the unfortunate situation that happened to me is something that will sort of that's, stay with me for the rest of my that's life. That's quite incredible. So what was your, your role was to edit the book? Yeah, and so I got to write the forward, which was very oh. exciting. And then I got to liaise with all 70 celebrities, got to edit all of their copies. So there were who, some novelists. Who are we talking about? Everyone from Eric Clapton to Kevin Spacey, Ben so you're like, hey, Eric. <laughs> literally, literally, Benjamin Zephaniah. I like your writing. Yeah. <laughs> and there was even a chap called Miles Kington, who was a massive journalist in jazz, which mm. was quite a discreet community, but yeah. he was really well known. And actually, he he was dying of cancer at the time we didn't know mm. he filed his copy and died and I had in my inbox the last piece of copy he ever wrote oh my gosh. so I felt it was in this most incredible book I that can't kind explain of a bit sh- oh shivers. it really does oh, and I had wow. to call his wife and say I need to edit this book like yeah. he can't approve this what, what did she say she, she was absolutely she said he wrote this because he believes in what you're doing, please publish it. And it was he came to she came to the launch party and oh, it was just so incredible. obviously Bill Bryson is a travel writer. So yeah. were they writing about their travel experiences? They were or? writing about things in England that they for them are sort of iconic. So Eric Clapton wrote, for example, was talking about playing cowboys and Indians in his local woods, <laughs> and then Brian Ferry wrote about the monument under which he was conceived. Oh, you right, know this right. we got into such mm. personal detail. Yeah. So quickly I thought everyone was going to talk about the White Cliffs of Dover and Stonehenge yes but they all went quite discreetly even Raymond Blanc started talking about apples you know it was really lovely and it was the most amazing project I did and I believe that it was the problems I had in my life that led me on that path sadly it left me with a the operation left me with a hole in my leg so I had to give up my full-time job here in order to go off and sort of rehabilitate myself so what did they do you mentioned it briefly that they kind of Built, rebuilt your pelvis. Yeah, so they sawed it in three, and then they the whole pelvis. Yeah, the whole and thing. then and then they sort of pinned it back together again. So Which your pelvis is uh, is big. Yeah, it's not like it's not <laughs> it like you so know, little pinky finger. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So it was a huge operation and a huge rehabilitation, and I basically went back to work too quickly, mm. and I learned my lesson quite quickly mm. that bodies need to heal, and to heal they need rest. So that's what I did. And I went off and did some freelance work. I worked with some cable company. I worked with doing comms and writing and websites. So you, so you went freelance? Yes. Yeah, okay. And then I ended up writing a blog for a former Miss Island for a while. Okay. And so for it somebody... It was really <laughs> random. So for somebody who wasn't really interested in fashion, yeah. I ended up in, uh, doing all these amazing sort of interesting blogs and pieces of writing, whilst also writing about the detail of how electric current gets through electrical cables and I had the most right. random 18 months um did you enjoy it I did yeah. I did but I absolutely realized I missed the agency world I missed that mm. serving clients doing magazines mm. creating content that makes people 
do things. It's good that you tested the water though, right? Like it sounds yeah. like you did like a smorgasbord of different things yeah. just to maybe challenge yourself, but also yeah. to see am I interested in that? Yeah. Okay. And then you came back to the realization that you your future loved lay, the agency, yeah, but realized that maybe editing and writing was something I loved doing so much. Mm. I didn't want to do it as a profession. I wanted to do it in my spare time. And so when I came back, so when I put myself out there as being on the market for a full-time agency job, Think called me up the day I was offered two other jobs and said, we've heard you were available. Can you come back? We want you. And it was amazing. And I came back, I did a little bit of editing and then moved into account direction and then have since gone from account direction to new business, to research, to running the company. And I'm now deputy MD. So I've gone on a massive growth curve. You're um, still very young as well. Yeah. Though, yeah. So, so mid 30s still. So, so in the space of 10 years. Yeah. You've done all of this. Yes. And grown a company from 23 people to 70. But also, the one thing I haven't said is, so after my leg, so my 20s was all about my rehabilitation of my leg. And then when I was in my early 30s, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So again, was faced with a brick wall of health issues that I You say that as they... I just went and got a coffee. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> again, hold on. Let's just stop. <laughs> yeah. So I, it's a slightly sad story. I waited 13 years for my husband to propose to me. Mm. And on Christmas Eve, I found a lump in my breast. And on Christmas Day, I got engaged. And then three weeks later, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. So our life went from guess this and planning in this complete mm. euphoria mm. to absolutely crushing am I even going to make it through the next six months? So it was an incredible learning curve. But as a journey that I went on, I have learned so much about myself Mm. and so much about work and about people and about kindness and about giving people, cutting people slack and actually being a better human being. Um, One of my questions seems quite small and stupid now. Did it change your outlook on life? It totally did. I, there were a few things. One, I had an obsession with time, not wasting time. I couldn't sit in a meeting that was going on. I had to sort of speed it up and say, guys, we've got so much to do with our lives. Get on with it. Um, Which did fade over time. But (laughs) I think I just realized that I redefine my definition of success, essentially. What would you say are the kind of big fundamental things that changed for you and and stuck, I guess? I mean, you mentioned time as one thing. Yeah, but but self-care is huge. Women, as a general rule, just don't look after themselves Mm. enough. I was the same. I worked, I think, you know, people say, what was your biggest failure in life? I think it was working too hard and making other people work too hard, too. I was so hard on myself, but I was also really hard on everyone around me. But do you think that was from ambition and, you know, wanting to progress and you sounded like what you were describing earlier you sounded like you were really keen and eager and excited and enthusiastic which are all very positive things it is but when you're sat in a hospital bed and the nurse looking at you says where's your running around looking for your blackberry of literally after life-saving surgery and she looks at you and she's jackie what are you doing with your life is that what your life is all about because if it is you'll just realize in the next nine months of treatment that that is the thing that won't give you any satisfaction it won't make you feel yourself and so we all go through our lives saying who we are through the jobs that we have and I've learned that I am so much more than the job I have mm. I have a rounded life and I think a biggest shift for me not only was 
adopting more of a kindness, kind approach to myself, but also my team and understanding that to get the best out of people, you really need to recognise that they have obligations outside of life and dreams and ambitions that they can't mm-hmm. stick in the office hours. So I learned a lot about that. But I also learned a lot about looking after myself in terms of exercise. I started running during chemo. I re- Actually, on this point, yes. you did your first ever 10k race just days after your last chemo session is that right yes it is I chose running because obviously from my 20s my leg obviously was the big issue and Mm. everyone said I'd never run um, maybe run for the bus but nothing more so when cancer came along I thought "Hmm, what should I do that's really hard that can prove to my body once and for all that I am not done so I chose running but you weren't a runner oh no well my leg my leg you just never really like nope awful so where do you where do you start when you've been told that you probably couldn't walk in your early 20s and you've now got a rebuilt pelvis and you're like oh okay let's go running well I it was I was in the shower in my parents house (laughs) and my hair was coming out in like like every I literally blocked up their shower and they had to get the plumber out and it was all really bad but anyway (laughs) you laugh also also was focusing on the fact that I had like hair coming off in clumps I thought this, I'm just going to feel bad about myself for so long. So I thought, I've got to do something about this. So my dad, who is a runner, said, well, let's go outside. And I, so I got my really tatty trainers on. And we just went for a walk that okay. then turned into a run. And then I thought, I feel really good. And I just kept it up. And I got further and further and further. And there was this path near my house where it was 209 steps. And every day I'd go out and I'd try and do a bit more. And bearing in mind when I'd had the surgery on to remove my right breast up from the cancer... They took my tummy fat out right. to shove up here, which is a great use of tummy fat, I have to say. But the, <laughs> You're going to put it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the consequence of that was they had to sew up my stomach, and therefore I was oh, bent double. Right. So I had to learn again how to walk properly upright. Yeah. So I was coping with that whilst also learning to run. So that helped me mobilise myself really quickly. Then I did this 10K, and I thought, oh, I'll do another one to celebrate the end of treatment. So I did. My friends were like, oh, I was just saying, all your friends and family like, what the hell? I know, literally <laughs> putting them through serious yeah. illness, treatment, having all put them through Trying that whole leg thing. <laughs> and then bringing them along with me. So mm. at the end, it was like, let's all go for 10k. They were like, no, let's go to the pub. Yes. And I was like, no, let's do something together. <laughs> and then it turned into a half marathon, at which point I lost most people. Yes. Um, except for a few hardcore people. And then I thought, I'm going to have a cracker of marathon. And I did... <laughs> And I set myself a target of five hours, and I came in at five hours, one minute, and three seconds. That's very, very impressive. Which was brilliant, Mm. but the one minute and three seconds really did bother me. (laughs) So the day after, lying in Pilates, thinking, what on earth am I going to do next? Can't really do bigger. I went home and saw my husband, and I said, right, or my boyfriend at the time, I said, right, I've worked out how we're going to get married. We're going to get married and run the London Marathon and trek the Great Wall of China for our honeymoon. And we're going to raise as much money as we can to gift our wedding back to the people who got us through the treatment year. And amazingly, he said yes. So in 2017, we got up at 5am. We got married on the Cutty-Sark in Greenwich. We walked up the hill. We ran the London Marathon. And then we trekked the Great Wall of China and raised £30,000 for charity. So, yeah. You are the most <laughs> incredible person. Like, it literally brings tears <laughs> to my eyes. My gosh, Jackie. Yeah, so it was the most incredible. I mean, it got, it went from being an idea that I thought was quite, you know, mm. quite fun 
to the most incredible, crazy fundraising, wedding planning, fitness training, yeah. um, you know, a media, everything about yeah. it was huge. Do you think it was good for you to have that focus, I guess, you mm. know, something to plan, something to prepare for, something to think about, yeah. other than maybe how you were feeling physically? Or, totally, yeah. and I think what's really important is I... I wanted that proposal after 13 years more than anything well, in the world. Why did he waste 13 years? Oh, he just had commitment, you know. He's he going to listen did... to this. 13 years is a long time. Yeah, he knows, he knows. <laughs> but um, when I waited, I thought that was what I wanted in my life. I, like everybody in the world, was chasing landmark events that in my mm. life would define who I was. Right. And then it's not lost on me that that happened at a point when life got in the way and said, it's not about what you do one day in, in your life. Yeah. It's about what you do every day. And I realised then that the person I loved, I was always going to love, yeah. regardless of whether or not I was going to get married. So when actually treatment was over, I was like, I don't think we need to get married. And he was like, hang on a second. I, after 13 years, I plucked up the courage. We are totally going down the aisle. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but I love fundraising and I love volunteering and I love giving back. So if it's not got that in it, I don't have time to... It needs to be meaningful. It needs to be meaningful, and it needs to be meaningful to all the people around us yeah, who saw us go yeah. through all of this. Mm. So we did it, and it got so random that David Seaman's wife was making me a free wedding dress that I could run <laughs> in, and it all got so... It was such an incredible thing that was exhausting and exhilarating and everything, but it, it set me on a path, and yeah. You must have got to China and just collapsed right after China <laughs> yeah and I was injured so there were in I ended up one night going off to the England sports physio mm. who had happened to know David Seaman and they got me in late at night and we had a chat and Thanks, David. Yeah, yeah it was all very hush hush because yeah. I had to try and get me through the six week period that I, I needed to be well and yeah. they helped me over that injury problem and so then, are you, you're still receiving treatment for cancer, or only only hormonal therapy for ten right. years? Um, okay. But I'm considered treated. Just this is a preventative for it to not hopefully not come back. Mm. But yeah, I still see my hip surgeon. I still see my cancer surgeon. Every time I go, they're like, "What is she doing next?" <laughs> and it's my five years clear oh. this year. So to celebrate, I'm doing the big five, which includes I've already this. walked sixty six miles around the Isle of Wight. Wow! Uh, did a half Ironman. That's just the thing. Cause I was supposed to speak to you before, <laughs> yeah. and you were like, "Oh, well, it's the day before I'm doing a half Ironman, so I might be tired." I was like, "Well, shall we just do it later?" <laughs> <laughs> yes and that was quite full-on eight hours of cardio mm. exercise is quite uh yeah tough and then i've just come back from ben nevis i mean that i've got a 34 mile ultra marathon in august along the cliffs near near brighton um, why do they call it ultra because it's really really tough. anything above a marathon is is called an ultra marathon so i went for the shortest one i could find in fairness <laughs> which is still 34 miles i'm gonna say 34 miles cliffs. is not to be sniffed at. Yeah, yeah and then i'm doing a coast-to-coast cycle in september and I'm also possibly considering a mass spinathon to sort of finish it off if I can if find a not, studio. Chuck it in there. So yeah, so I, I sort of I'm now more rounded. So when people say to me what's success, I find it really hard to answer because ten years ago I would have said success was producing this book that got mm. me huge profile, got to work with this amazing person, ended up being a pointless answer on the quiz show. Yes. You know, it was yeah. it for me I thought, wow, how am I gonna beat that? But if you ask me now what I consider success to be I would say it's the fact that the day after the marathon, a lady wrote to me and said that her mother had been in a wheelchair 
for a year and they had paid for the best physios in the country to come and try mm. and get her up out of this wheelchair mm. and nobody had any success she saw us on the television she heard the story she read about it she walked for the first time in a oh, year wow. and the woman wrote to me i'll never forget her words she said you gave her a confidence she couldn't find for herself and you have transformed our family by running a marathon and that for me what more do you want to do in life than inspire other people to believe that anything is possible oh, gosh. do you oh, know what exactly. i mean <laughs> oh wow and that so that's success mm. that's real success yeah it really is because Getting the money, getting the house, getting the whatever it is, whatever landmark events you think you want, when it all hits the fan and you're lying in bed and you don't know how many days you've got left, what you think about is what you're leaving behind. You're quiet. No one ever wishes that they spent more hours in the office at no. their desk Absolutely sending emails. Not. That's not doesn't Absolutely even compare, not. does it? No. Wow. Well, you can't, you touched on, I was going to ask you what your greatest success was. I think you've done <laughs> Now that we're both crying. <laughs> okay, and you, you kind of touched on failure as well. Your failure was that you worked too hard, right? Yeah, yeah. but also I, I think I, I was too hard on other people. Mm. I didn't give people the benefit that I always was so driven that I expected everyone around me to be as driven. Mm. When they had kids, they had commitments, they had volunteering opportunities that they wanted to do. They wanted to be a rounded individual where I was convinced that working 17 hour days was the was the answer for everybody. Were you upset that you didn't help facilitate that? Or what, I mean, how did the failure on your part come into that, I guess? You could have been a better manager? Or? I, I guess that, that's the point. Being more, I think part of being a great manager and a great leader is recognizing the pool of people you've got in front of you and mm. how you're going to get the best out of them. Mm. And I have learnt so much that the more flexibility, the more you recognise that that person is an individual with hopes and dreams that aren't always linked to work, mm. the more you get out of them. Recognising that someone doesn't need to be in an office, they better be in an op- uh, at home working because they're going to deliver loads more. It's that kind of recognition rather yeah. than being well I just want everybody here around me so that we can all work really hard and fast and yeah I've learned I'm still hard on myself but I'm less hard on myself and I also have realised I'm such a busy I will always be a busy person but now I divide my time between giving back, Mm. doing things with a purpose as well as my work and that works really well which brings us nicely on to how you came to be involved with the Women of the Future Network so I absolutely love the Women of the Future Network and all they stand for, particularly the whole kindness and collaboration thing. So back in 2015, um, one of my colleagues said, there is this network and I'm just going to put you up for an award because you are so, you belong in this world. Who put you up for it? Um, A guy called Matthew Rock who um, knows the wonderful Pinky Lilani. Of course, the fantastic. And he just said... I know that you will, whatever happens with this process, you will get what you need out of it. So it's not about an award, it's about the people behind the award. And at that time I didn't really know anybody, so I thought, wow, that's lovely, isn't it? Thank you for nominating me. I then went on to win the Community Spirits Award, which was recognition of all the philanthropic work, volunteering Mm. and stuff I'd done, which was just so amazing. I was so stunned and completely didn't expect it was really tired it was after work sort of sat there with my my husband being like oh, how did you find out um you get shortlisted they wrote this most lovely email to me and i 
I had just, I was so overwhelmed. The interview process was amazing. We all had a good cry in the interview. Oh, really? Everybody, all the judges, we all just I all cried. I cried in my interview too, to be fair. Oh, it, yeah. it is oh, such yeah. an emotional experience. It really is. Because you're, put, you're putting yourself out there, aren't you? You're literally totally. like, oh, here's me, raw, warts and all. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a phenomenal experience. And even meeting all the people I was shortlisted against incredible people mm. so I just had the most amazing night and then I got to know Pinky mm. I got to know the network every time I turn up I get this kind of part imposter syndrome because I'm surrounded by insanely amazing people but then I also come away thinking come on Jackie what can you do to contribute to this yeah. so it's sort of inspiring. a kick and an yeah. inspiring yeah. moment yeah. simultaneously and then I was lucky enough to be shortlisted, well, listed on the first 50 Kindest Leaders list last yeah. year, um, which again was just for me was a recognition of how far I've come in terms mm. of the kindness I want to bring into the workplace. So I was just so overwhelmed by that. How did, because um, um, nominations for the kindness and leadership have just reopened. Mm. So how did, did you get nominated again or how did that process yeah, work for you? Yeah, my colleagues sort of ganged up on me. <laughs> <laughs> how dare um, they? And they then, they then spoke to some people that I work with in the charity sector yeah. and they did a combined, as I understand it, a sort of combined video nomination <laughs> about all the things I'd helped them achieve, which oh, was just lovely. so lovely. That's really lovely. Um, and I just was so overwhelmed that I'd made it onto the list that I then started scrutinising even more, well, am I kind? Like, what is kindness? And so this year, I've become sort of student of kindness, mm. and I've been reading up on the subject. What does this well, mean? What does well, mean? <laughs> well, I'm also, I'm running a, part of it is running a daily Instagram feed called The Daily Kindness Project, where I post about just celebrating ch- kindness, championing kindness, mm-hmm. and getting people to think about how small gestures can change the course of someone's day yeah. and in so doing their life. So what, is, what does kindness and collaboration mean to you personally now? Has it evolved from where you started with Women of the Future, but also with your, you know, when you were in your early 20s to where you are now? It must have come a full circle, right? Yeah, well, it was, it's really interesting. So before I was sick, in the year that I was sick, I, was very, I worked too hard, but I also decided in the September that I was going to make 200 handmade gifts for Christmas for friends, relations, colleagues, bear with me, this is a random Two, story. Sorry, 200. <laughs> 200. So I made everything from bath bombs to hand, handmade clay, uh, gift tags. I mean, I went to town. But in that three month period, apart from work, I didn't see anybody. I didn't turn up to people's parties. I didn't spend time with people. I was so focused on delivering all these presents that nobody had asked for. They had just, and I thought I was being incredibly kind. So you'd lost sight of the bigger picture, maybe? Totally. Yeah. And when I was sick, the first thing I realised was that I just had to go around the country and spend time with all the people I love. And I realised, I've spoken about this, this moment with so many of my friends who were like Jackie. As much as it was lovely to receive a ham- hamper of really random items <laughs> that you'd obviously spent a really long time mm. doing, I would have loved it if you'd just come to my drinks party in the November or I'd loved it if instead of sending always remembering my birthday you just we went out twice Mm. a year and it was a real recognition to me that sometimes kindness isn't what you think being kind really is and it's about listening to other people around you and responding to their needs Mm. I in this kindness project that I've been doing there was a homeless chap that I met he sits outside um, M&S and I got talking to him and I said oh look I've bought you some goodies from M&S and he looked at me and he said you know what Jackie 
it's about one degree outside and mm. everyone in M&S they, everyone comes out and they're really kind and they're really lovely but they give me cold food and I looked at him and I thought I didn't even come over I didn't even have the decency to come over and say I'd like to buy you something what would you like what would you like and that for me again is this just this recognition that part of being kind is listening yeah. and responding not necessarily doing what you think is right God, you are so you hit the nail on the head perfectly I'd never really even thought about it like that oh I don't and just the small details yeah. like I run to work occasionally um, a couple of times a month and I run past a big issue seller mm. who every time I see him he goes well done well done keep going keep going he's never met me he just is the <laughs> brilliant most brilliant cheerleader and as I was doing my kindness project earlier this year I realised I've never stopped to ask him his name so one day I just stopped and I said, really sorry, I know you've seen me for like two years now, but it's a bit weird, but what is your name? And I know his name's Steve. Oh, so Steve, my brilliant cheerleader, every time I see him now, I say, hi, Steve. And it's just things like that. Connection. Connections and taking the time to mm. care about other people and turn up in other people's lives. Yeah. I think I always say that I was so busy rushing through life in my 20s and my 30s that I'd forgotten what it was to live. And I thought being present was, you know, sending presents, mm. not actually turning up. And giving your time. Yeah. They say that, you know, in particular regard to gifting, you should give someone an experience yeah. that they can either do with whoever they want to or you can share with them. You yeah. know, like whether that's like an afternoon tea or just going to the seaside, yeah. promising to buy them an ice cream, whatever. Yeah. But like you just said, it's actually giving them yourself and your focus and yeah. your attention. And that's why for our wedding party, mm. we ask people to do two things. So rather than writing a guest book saying how lovely the night was or whatever, mm. I said, I want two things from you. One, could you write over here in a, a frame a place that you love more than anything in the world that you think we should visit in our lives a pub a cafe a moan a mountain top mm. write it down and then in our book write somewhere that you would really like to go or somewhere that you would or something that you would really like in your life and then we promise that we will help you achieve that and it's again recognition that what matters in life is putting everybody together and doing the right things together you're so bloody hell, you're amazing. It's <laughs> even that, you know, it's your wedding day for Christ's sake. Eat the cake. <laughs> again, again, um, I wanted to do something. So I wrote an individual postcard to every single person that turned up to our thank you party. And I told them what it was that they had done to help Duncan and I at any point in our lives. Mm. And the memories we had of time together. And they I've had so many emails and letters from people saying that postcard is like hanging over you know, it's hanging yeah, in my um, kind of place. Yeah. And and I think telling people what you mean mm. before it's too late. And they know it's genuine and heartfelt yeah. and sincere. Yeah. And I think you never know what's coming. I, I woke up this morning to find that one of the women I volunteer with a lot, who actually got a drug listed for people with terminal cancer mm. she died overnight oh, wow. and I found it on Facebook as is the way mm. nowadays and I get constant because of my network now I get constantly reminded that we've got to do what's right and we've got to spend time doing the right things for us and for those around us yeah. because we don't get a second chance but things like that as sad and awful as it is make, makes you check yourself doesn't mm. it like you might have slipped into you might have started 
slipping back into bad habits. Yeah. I'm not talking about you specifically. No, but, no, you know, no. That moment, you, do. you come back to reality. Don't yeah. you? you come back to what's important. Yeah. And I talk a lot to people about, you know, everyone says, oh, you, you go through serious illness, you'll have mm. to every, you have to seize every day. And then mm. she says, that's absolutely exhausting. Mm. And it lasts for about two minutes. And then you realise you've got to pay a mortgage. You've got to carry on and do your life. So... I think it's about recognising that we all have to do a job and have a life and have a career and hopefully love it, but also recognising that we have to do stuff that we thought we would never do. We have to find our edges. We have to, you know, travel to places to watch the sunset or, you know, we have to do the things that are on our list because they might just stay on our list Mm. and we don't want to be sat lying in a hospital bed looking at the list thinking... Should have done that. Should have done a bit more. Yeah. Well, you're so good at this podcast monarchy. I've literally got two questions left. Oh, okay. They are. <laughs> is there anything that scares you? And what is left on your to-do list? If I was to say what scares me, I think it's the fear that I will won't be able to keep moving forward. I live slightly on a knife edge. Obviously, doing endurance challenges and going further and further is wonderful. Knowing that things can go wrong. Knowing that they can go wrong, mm. and knowing that I have been tested so many times I don't know how much how many more times I can be tested so I I fear that but I also conversely sort of fear not reaching my edges Mm. sitting within my comfort zone it doesn't stop you does it no and so it it's sort of if we don't find our edges we never know we are always capable of more than we could even imagine Mm. and I think I've learned that about myself at like seven hours in when you're running and you're just like what am I doing and uh, my legs don't work and everything doesn't work and bits are falling off you know you think I ten years ago I wouldn't have even imagined I could and I did I know because I've run a marathon very badly once but you learn <laughs> so much about yourself don't yeah. you? like because you, the thought process you go through when you're running a marathon to keep yourself going and I can imagine for you having been through all the awful things you've been through that must have been that must be something in itself to be in your own head for that period of time how do you manage that I think I just love sort of reflecting on it all actually weirdly when I run I often listen to podcasts Mm. I often listen to sort of inspirational stories and I reflect on all the things I want to achieve in my life and I often come out of the shower thinking I'm rejuvenated Mm. off I go so I guess I don't fear time with myself. I guess I just fear that one day my life will be cut dramatically short and I have to live with that. Breast cancer, sadly, is the only cancer that... Everyone says it's the best cancer to have, which I don't believe any cancer is, is good. Is that a good one? No, there, <laughs> there really isn't. But it's, you know, there's lots of investment in research, which means the treatments are better. Mm. But it's the only cancer that after a few years you're not in remission. You never are. So whether it's 10 years, whether it's 15 years, whether it's 25 years later, it can come back. And I've seen what's happened when it does, and I've seen how quickly it changes and cuts things off short. So that that could happen for you? Yeah. So it's changed everything. You know, it's changed our view on family, having one. Um, It's changed our view on sort of, yeah. Do do you want a family? We, We talked about it, but you have to be on this drug for 10 years, and you have to negotiate to come off. Uh, if you want to have a child and as my husband said I would rather you see out the 10 years rather than come off it and risk yeah. me being a single father so yeah so yeah but I'm sort of reconciled with that yeah. I feel like I you always think 
like with everything, like with the book and the leg and the cancer and, you know, everything I've done in my life, I always think it was meant to be for mm. a reason. I try and learn something from it. And I just think I'm here for something else. And I'm going to find that. <laughs> was, was there ever, ever a moment, because he's like, you're just listing them off there, was there ever a moment you just thought, why me? Like, yeah. really down and sad and depressed. Did you ever reach... I, I never, I, I sort of never got depressed. I think after my leg, not being able to move and mm. walk and not being able to see people, being stuck at home back in back where I grew up, I thought, I, I found rehabilitation really hard. But what I didn't know was that it was preparation for the ultimate, you know, kind of cancer diagnosis, yeah. which actually I flew into because I was like, right, I know what's going on. Done this, yeah. I worried about the experts mm. and the cancer, you know, the, the rehabilitation with my leg. I'm not worried about that because I know they've got that. Mm. So all I'm going to do is go out, have fun, bake cakes, um, be, you know, write a blog about yeah. the funny side of cancer. You know, I had an amazing year refinding myself. You knew what to focus on. Yeah. And I mm. say I am who I am because of all the things life didn't get right yeah. rather than all the things that life did. Mm. And I'm happy to live by that. So what's next? Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> After this, another endurance challenge of a, a longer, harder, stressful, <laughs> uh, but also just continuing to volunteer and give back. I'm doing quite a bit of mentoring with young women in media at the moment, and I'm absolutely loving that. Oh, um, continue to work with uh, Women of the Future as an ambassador, and just really be a reminder to people that you know you can get through anything in your life and you know your point about feeling hard done by one of my friends funny enough said to me when I was going through treatment she's like oh, so don't take this wrong Jackie but I'm so glad it happened to you and no one else because she said we through your energy are learning mm. that life is really short and she said if it had been any of my other friends I would they would have all gone into like a little cocoon and we would have all just felt really bad. She said, for you, your serious illness means that we may all avoid a serious illness in the short term because we're reevaluating our lives. She quit her job, she extended her house, she had a third child. She went off and did stuff she had had on her list because she didn't know how long they would stay on there. And that for me again is just, uh, if I'm gonna be the full guy in life, if that's my job in life, <laughs> so that other people might thrive, I'm pretty happy. Well, you're the first person that's made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you. think that's a good thing. <laughs> I do. You are such an awesome, awesome woman, and it's been a pleasure Thank to you. meet you properly. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Woman of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.